Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Genesis chapter 3, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Genesis chapter 3. It's probably a chapter in the Bible that most of us are familiar with, or at least the part of Adam and Eve eating the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. Because we do mention it on quite a regular basis. And so as we're going through the Bible in these two years, we'll likely hit on a number of stories that we've heard before. Maybe stories that we've heard many, many times before. These ancient stories, these ancient words from God's word. And we're going to look at how these are still important for us today. How these ancient words are applicable for today's world. And Genesis 3 is one of those chapters that we might be tempted to skip over because we know it so well. But that's exactly why we should not skip over it. It's like saying that we don't need to hear the story of Jesus' birth on Christmas Eve. right? Because we know it so well. So imagine if you would have come to Christmas Eve worship and we would have focused on the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. What's that story about? Well, stay tuned and maybe you'll hear in the next number of months what it's about. But spoiler alert, it's about sin. And when we get to stories of sin, we don't want to skip over them. Especially when we talk about something that we call original sin. You see, that's the sin that we are born with, that we have from the moment we are conceived, we have this sinful nature inside of us. And it means that it is natural for us to sin, to disobey God and his word. And original sin leads us to do these actual sins. And actual sins are the sins that we actually do, the sins that go against God and his commands. It's our disobedience to what God wants for our lives. And that's something that today's world would love for us to skip over, to ignore completely. Because the world doesn't want you to hear about the bad things that you do. Because the world wants you to believe that you are a good person. That there is nothing wrong with you. That you are perfect just the way you are. Ever heard that one before? And so maybe you're sitting there today thinking, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. I go to church, or I watch online. I read my Bible. I give my offering to the church 10%, no more, no less. I volunteer at places where I can help those who are less fortunate than I am. I, I drive my aging parents around to all of their doctor's appointments. I say, bless you when someone sneezes. I say, please, and I say, thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Good for you. And the world will tell you that more people should be like you because there is nothing, nothing wrong with you. But what if you don't feel that way? 
What if you don't do any of those things? Or at least you don't do them as well as others. What if you feel like there's something wrong with you? What if you don't like your life the way it is? What if you don't like the way that you are? The world will still tell you that there is nothing wrong with you, even if you don't like being the way you are or the way you were created by God. Because even that you can change. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Because sometimes God gets it wrong. God gets you wrong. You see, the world wants you to believe that you are not the problem. That your thoughts and your feelings, whatever they may be, are natural. And so whatever you want to do in this life, whatever you want to do with your body that God created, I mean, if you want to believe in a silly thing like creation, you should just do whatever makes you happy. Because that is what life is really all about. It is about your happiness. Live your life to the fullest because you only live once. And do whatever you think is right. Live your truth. And your truth is whatever you want it to be because it's yours. And there is nothing wrong with you. Just do it. You know who else just did it? Adam and Eve. And it's the reason why we're here talking about sin in the first place. And the reason why we have original sin goes back to Adam and Eve, our first original parents in the Garden of Eden. That sin has been passed down to all of us from Adam and Eve who just went and ate the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. And what fruit was that exactly? What fruit exactly was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom? This fruit that didn't really seem like there was anything wrong with it. I mean, I know the fruit that we always see depicted in pictures and paintings and recreations of Adam and Eve eating, but what fruit do you think that it was? Think it was an apple, like most of us would choose to believe? How many think an apple? Ah, well, all right, a lot of you. Okay. How many of you are uh, an orange? Orange? How about a peach? All right. How about a banana? How about something else? Oh, okay. All right, a few of you. Now, you may have heard me say it before, but I wonder if that specific tree was cursed after Adam and Eve's sin, that that tree became cursed because of sin, in the sense that you don't look at it anymore and see it as being pleasing to the eye, useful for gaining knowledge, good for food. That whatever fruit it is, it's no longer desirable, probably doesn't taste very good, which means that fruit is probably a pear. I'm sorry, pears are not great. 
They are terrible, which means they are the cursed fruit. So it has to be a pair, right? But I know that many of you probably like pears, as everybody in my own house does, except me. Now, we don't actually know what fruit Adam and Eve ate. And it's entirely possible, because they were kicked out of the garden, never to enter it again. That tree was the only tree of its kind, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so that fruit is no longer on earth, no longer in existence. That's the most likely scenario. But I like to picture it as a pear. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so you have this pear, this forbidden fruit, and Satan, that sneaky, crafty serpent, comes along and says, did God actually say? that you can't eat that fruit? Did God actually say that there was something wrong with this fruit? Did God actually say that when you eat of it, you are going to die? You're not going to die. God loves you. He's not going to kill you for eating this insignificant piece of fruit. The reality is, God doesn't want you to eat it because God doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. And who doesn't want to be like God? Never mind the fact that you don't even know what evil is at this point. Because God knows what it is. He holds all the secrets. So take it. Be like him. And that temptation is still with us today. And it doesn't matter what that temptation is either. Sex outside of marriage, gossiping, lying, stealing, coveting something that doesn't belong to you, hatred towards someone, greed, withholding forgiveness from someone, putting everything else in your life more important than God. Did God actually say that there was something wrong with doing that thing? That when you do it, there are going to be negative consequences? And you say, well, I mean, yes, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I guess the only way to know whether or not there will be negative consequences would be to do it. And sometimes you look at it and it looks great, and you want to do it. And sometimes you look at it, and it doesn't actually look good. You know you're not going to like it, but you still do it. You still eat it. And there's a number of things that can happen in that moment, in that instant. The first is, you might find yourself like Adam and Eve. They eat, and their eyes are opened, and they realize that they're naked. And where they were once naked and unashamed, they became naked and ashamed. And in their shame, 
they cover themselves. They cover themselves up with fig leaves. And they try and cover their shame. We eat. We give into temptation. We realize that we sin. And we might feel that shame. We may have thought that nothing bad would happen. But in the moment where we thought that that temptation would bring us pleasure, we realized that it lasted for just a split second because the shame of our sin comes crashing down on us. And so we have to cover it up. And if it's something like stealing a candy bar from a store, after we eat it, what do we do? Well, we get rid of the evidence. Right? And so we take the wrapper and we put it all the way in the bottom of the trash so nobody can find it. Or if it's something like looking at pornography, well, we, we clear our browsing history. Right? We, we do everything to get rid of the evidence, to cover it up. Another thing that could happen is that after you eat it, you realize... I'm not dead. Thought I was going to die. I guess it's not that bad. And if I'm not dead, and I don't really feel all that much different, I mean, I guess it's okay to keep doing it. I mean, as long as no one's getting hurt, can't be that bad, right? Another thing that could happen as you eat it, so you eat it, and you feel the shame, and you're like, crap. And you want to stop doing that thing. And so you do. And you're sorry for your sins. And you ask for forgiveness. And you repent of them. But then a little while later, maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe a month, you do it again. And you just keep following this cycle. Even though it's terrible. And you don't like it, you just keep doing it. You eat, you repent, you repeat. Another thing that could happen is that you eat it, and while you're eating it, you get caught. Adam and Eve got caught. And when God confronts them on their sin, they deny it. They blame everyone else. It was God. It was the woman. It was the serpent. They don't take responsibility for their actions. And so when you get caught, it's not your fault, right? Everybody else is doing it. Or 
you know what? You do it too. So don't tell me that you don't, right? You do it too. Don't tell me I'm, what I'm doing is wrong. No one's getting hurt, so it's fine. You know what? God just wants me to be happy. Wants me to do whatever makes me happy. Or, you know what? God's rules, I mean, they are so ancient and they do not apply to me today. Or, you know what? God's rules are unreasonable. They're oppressive. And on top of that, Jesus fulfilled the law, which means I don't have to follow it. Whenever we give in to temptation, whenever we sin, we are never the same. Because as much as I use this pair as the temptation that we give into, the pair ends up being us. I mean, if you were to just see this actual pear hanging from a tree, as it is now, would you say that there's something wrong with this pear? Maybe it's bruised, it's beaten up, it's damaged, there's chunks taken out of it, it's eaten up by the worries and the concerns of this life. It's a poor image of what it used to look like. And we are a poor image of what we used to look like. Because our body is deteriorating. And now, we're just going to take this pear and we're going to throw it away. We're just going to let it rot. And sometimes, we feel like people in our life have literally thrown us out of their life. And sometimes we blame others for putting ourselves in this position. Right? It's their fault. I didn't do this to myself. They did it to me. It was the woman. It was the serpent. It was God himself. What we actually deserve, though, is to be left to rot in the consequences of our actions. What we deserve is death. And this was the consequence given to Adam, which has been passed down to each and every one of us. You were taken from the ground and you'll return to the ground. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We deserve physical death. We are not perfect just the way we are. We're not even good. We are bad, we are terrible, and there is everything wrong with us. And we're not just deserving of an earthly death. What we also deserve is eternal death. We deserve to rot in hell for all eternity, forever separated from God. That's the punishment we deserve for all of our sins, for all of our shameful actions, for all of the terrible things that we do. You, me, all people. And in our moments of shame and in our moments of punishment, God gives us his grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. When Adam and Eve sinned, before he gave them their punishment, their consequences, he gave them a promise. His first words of grace after the fall. Something they didn't deserve. The promise that was part of the serpent's curse 
that the offspring of Eve would come and crush the serpent's head. This is the first promise, the first gospel of a savior who would come and suffer that heel strike, but he would crush Satan. Now we're able to look back at that promise and see that it is Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, who is born of the Virgin Mary, who lives a perfect life, overcoming all temptations, never giving in to sin like us, so that he is able to lay down his life for his people. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus destroys sin. He destroys our sinful nature, death, the world, and the devil once and for all. And there's something else that God does that points us to Jesus that you can see in chapter 3. Now remember, Adam and Eve, they cover themselves up with fig leaves. Now we usually say that, you know, they cover up their shame. But something like fig leaves, well, eventually it's going to dry up. It's going to no longer be an effective covering. So God covers Adam and Eve with garments of skins that he made. He covered up their nakedness and their shame. Now, where do these garments of skins come from? Came from an animal. Now, maybe this is an animal that died of natural causes, though before sin had entered the world, there was no death, so maybe not a previously dead animal, since that would have had to happen pretty quick. The other option is that God had to sacrifice an animal to make the clothing for Adam and Eve. We could then say that this is God's first act, act of grace after the fall. He didn't need to clothe them, but he did. They covered up their shame. And then God, after giving the promise of a savior, he covers them with something that he makes. It points to his ongoing care for his people. And it can point to the future introduction of animal sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, for the covering up of our sins. This, of course, ends with the last and final sacrifice of Jesus that covers all of our sin and all of our shame. As the New Testament reading from Ephesians said, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. While we were dead in our sin, we were rescued from death. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith, and this is not of our own doing, not our own actions. It is a gift of God so that we can only boast in him, not in ourselves. And even today, even today, God continues to give us his grace. He takes us bruised, beaten, dead in ourselves' sins, and he washes us. He washes us in the waters of baptism where he forgives our sins, where he covers us 
clothes us with Christ's righteousness, with his holiness, with his perfection. He makes us alive in him through these waters, through the waters and the word, so that when we come up out of the waters, we are a new creation, created new by him through the water and the word. He restores us as his dearly loved children. And he does the same in his supper as he gives us his body and blood to wash away our sins, to strengthen our faith, to give us the promise that we who believe in him will have eternal life, that we will be raised up on the last day. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to help us overcome temptation when it comes our way. Because temptations, they never stop coming. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus died for you. He rose for you. He has called you by name. And he covers, clothes you with himself, with his body, and with his blood. And he leads you to repentance. He leads you to his forgiveness so that time and time again, he takes you as you are and he makes you new. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.